What a blessing. What a blessing. What a blessing our children are. We've been walking through the messages of born the king. And uh, we talked about uh, how Christ comes into the world. And we've hit on various different things and different themes throughout this journey of born the king. And I hope you're following along in the devotional guide. And, and if you've noticed, uh, the sermons sort of go along with the scriptures for that week. Uh, but it's loosely, the, the messages have been loosely based on those scriptures. Um, but they stand alone as well. And we celebrate on Christmas Sunday that God comes to us through the gift of a child. And I've often argued that children are such a blessing, and if your life is totally detached from children, you're missing sometimes the full glory of God in your life uh, if you're not around children in some way, shape, or form from time to time. And as we speak about the gift of God as a child, I pray that you would hear a fresh reading of something that's familiar to all of us as it records the events that surround the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And if you have your Bibles or your apps with you this morning, I would encourage you to turn to the very first chapter of Matthew once again. And if you would, journey over to the 18th verse of the Gospel of Matthew this morning and hear afresh verses of scriptures that will ring with familiarity to you, I'm sure. Matthew chapter 1. Matthew is such a rich, rich, rich book of the Bible. And if you had, I know a lot of people say, well, if you're going to start reading the Bible, where do people say to start reading? The book of John. Everyone says John, right. It's very personal. It's very um, interpersonal. And you can read it and kind of see about God's plan and how he speaks to us and spoke to John. But Matthew was a gospel that was written primarily for the Jewish people. And, and, and in Matthew, there are certain... Um, preachers and evangelists that that I hold in high esteem uh, that have preached from the book of Matthew. Is anybody familiar with a guy named, uh, oh, now his name escapes me, the, the big evangelist on the Church of the Nazarene? Help me out. Help me out. Oh, my goodness, I can't remember his name now. It escapes me. That ever happened to you? Stephen Manley. Anybody ever heard of Stephen Manley? Dr. Manley. Yeah, there's a few hands. Uh, I don't know if any of you know this, but Dr. Manley only ever preaches from the book of Matthew. All, all the time. He's been preaching, I don't know, 60 years. And has done all of his preaching in the book of Matthew. Now Matthew can take you off on a lot of different avenues and a lot of different roads. But the book of Matthew is so rich and deep. And we find in verse 18 as we start to read. And we would invite you, those that are physically able, to stand with us. Uh, to reverence the reading of the Word of God. <clears throat> We're going to begin right here in verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found with child. Remember that. She was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man... Some translations say that Joseph was a good man. And not wanting to make a public example out of her, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream 
and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child, and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from his sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and took his wife, and did not know her until she had brought forth her firstborn son, and called his name Jesus. You may be seated. May God add a blessing to the reading of his word this morning. So Joseph was a just man. In some translations would say Joseph was a good man. And some of you already know that a good man is hard to find. Somebody ought to say amen. A good man is hard to find. Don't point, elbow, or look around the room. But some would say that a good man is hard to find. If you've ever had trouble understanding and reading Scripture, one of the easiest and most exciting ways to engage the Holy Word of God is is through a method called character identification. Character identification is something that each and every one of us can use as a way of reading God's Word. It doesn't require any PhD or a knowledge of Greek or Hebrew. All it requires is your Bible and some imagination. What a character identification does that is that is as you read through Scripture and you see names of individuals and people, you identify with them and you put yourself in their shoes and imagine what it would feel like if, as if this were happening to you. For instance, how would you feel if you were Abram in the Old Testament and God called you to leave your dad's house for no good reason other than you need to walk by faith? How would you feel if you were Sarah and an angel of the Lord came to you in your 90s and told you you were about to have a baby? What would be going through your mind if you were one of the disciples sitting at a table and you began to realize that one of your very own number have betrayed your master and set in motion his death and execution? Character identification simply says step into the scripture and imagine how you'd feel It's a good way of understanding the Word of God. And it's a tool that you can use. And what I used this week, reading and rereading the account of the birth of Jesus, I decided this week devotionally that every day I would identify with a different character and imagine how they felt in that setting. Imagine what Zacharias must have felt like when the angel came to him and told him that his elderly wife was now fertile again and that they had some things to take care of to bring a son into the world. And I began to wonder what Mary must have felt like as a young teenager and and engaged in a virgin, but that being told that God has a plan for you that's going to cause you to be the mother of the Savior of the world. And then I began to imagine what it might, might feel like to be Joseph. And I came to the conclusion that in my opinion, the birth of Jesus Christ, the announcement of his coming was exciting to everybody but Joseph. The shepherds were elated to know that the Savior had come. Mary's excited to know that she'll be the mother of the Savior. Elizabeth, 
her cousin is proud to know that her cousin will bring forth the birth of Jesus Christ. So much so that the baby does a leap. We talked about that last week in her womb. Everybody's happy about the announcement of the birth of the baby. Except Joseph. Because you see, Mary's pregnancy for Joseph is problematic. Her conception is going to cause some controversy. This baby is going to cause some people to talk. This pregnancy will be a source of embarrassment and scandal. Mary, see, Mary showing up pregnant has put Joseph in a dilemma where he's got to make a difficult decision. What do I do with the woman who has broken her vow and showed up pregnant and she's engaged to be married? This pregnancy causes Joseph some strife. And it made me wonder, and we were just talking about this last night. Why does God put Joseph through all of that? Because it seems to me, if you kind of do the math here, that God could have written the story of the birth of Jesus without Joseph in it at all. I mean, if you think about it, Joseph wasn't necessary for the pregnancy. And if he wasn't necessary for the pregnancy, surely God could have seen Mary through. She could, he could have seen her through the whole thing without Joseph. Because you do know that God has grace for single moms. And someone said, Amen. That God is able to take a mother with a child who's got faith in her heart to do this thing alone. God can take a single mother and put food on the table and put a child through college and get them on the honor roll. God is able to do it through a mom who can do it by herself. There you go. Y'all are still awake. I'm happy about that. If God is in it, you can handle it. So Joseph wasn't really necessary, if you think about it. But notice that God does not initiate the pregnancy of Mary until Joseph and Mary are betrothed. See, God could have caused the Holy Spirit to come before Mary knew Joseph, but God waits until Joseph has bought the ring, has knelt on one knee, sent out the announcement postcards, and put it on Instagram. It's out there. Oh, y'all are too quiet this morning. I don't know. I don't know, Wes, if I can keep going. It's way too quiet in here. We can go. But this announcement is out there. And and remember, it's a dialogue, right, folks? Not just a monologue. I need audience participation. But these two are going to get married. And the Bible says that when that happens is when the Lord sends the Holy Spirit to impregnate Mary. There's something about Joseph that God says, I'm not going to do this thing until he's on the scene. And I would suggest to you that Joseph, although he's not necessary for the pregnancy, he's absolutely necessary for the rearing and the raising of baby Jesus. Because Joseph models what it means to be a good man. There's something that Joseph is going to pass on to Jesus through the way that he lives his life that will help Jesus fulfill God's assignment that's on him. Can I share this morning why Joseph is looked at as a good man? Number one, Joseph is a good man because he restrains his resentment. He controls his contempt. 
He doesn't act out of anger. He's disciplined even when he's disappointed. He doesn't try to hurt Mary simply because he thinks Mary has hurt him. See, Joseph's a good man because he knows how to control his anger. At church, when you come home and you practice character identification, as I taught you earlier, it doesn't take much imagination to know what Joseph must have been feeling. Imagine that you and I were engaged. And an angel came to you alone and told you you were going to be pregnant. And then the angel tells you to go see your cousin Elizabeth and you stay with Elizabeth for three months. And when you come back, the Bible says that you are found to be pregnant. Remember, you're Joseph now, right? And Mary comes back after three months and you are found to be pregnant. A little reaction, not too much. Let me, let me try it again. We're engaged to be married. You leave in the middle of the night. You go to your cousin's house. And you stay at your cousin's for three months. And have the audacity to come back and then you are found to be pregnant. A little bit better. Let me, let me bring it down. You are my woman. And you leave for three months talking about you're at your cousin's house. And when you come back, you are found to be pregnant. Now, don't miss that. The term found to be pregnant means that she was, help me preach this, church, showing. Right. You come back here three months later and I find out you're pregnant. You didn't tell me. But I find out, makes me want to quote the great relationship theologian Marvin Gaye. Oh, I'll bet you're wondering how I knew (laughs) about your plans to make me blue. With some other guy you knew before, between the two of us guys, you know I loved you more. It took me by surprise, I must say, when I found out yesterday, don't you know that I heard it through the grapevine? You could have told me yourself, but I had to find out you were pregnant. And now I'm mad because I now I know that you've cheated on me and and you didn't tell me. And it gets worse. Imagine how the conversation goes when Mary tries to explain it. Wait, 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 wait. Hold on. Let me let me let me let me explain this. Hold on, honey. Hold on one minute. Let me explain. I know what it looks like. I know what it looks like. But before you get angry, let me tell you. The Holy Spirit did this. See, now I'm mad because you're playing me for stupid. Because, oh, oh, this is what we're going to do. We're going to put God in the middle of this situation. That's how we're going to fix this. Now you're trying to tell me that it's the Lord who got you pregnant. And I'm mad because the angel has told everybody else. But he didn't tell me. That this is how it was going to go down. I was engaged to you and the angel told you. And that's not fair. I didn't hear. I didn't get a heads up that this was God at work. I only knew that this was God after you came back and were found pregnant. It doesn't take much to imagine maybe how Joseph felt. He's hurt. He's angry. He's disappointed. He's mad. How dare you disrespect me like this? And notice that in a day and time where where she was pregnant and Joseph was, was living... There were several things that Joseph could have done because in that day of time, a a, a 
a woman was not given the full dignity of humanity. In fact, a woman was viewed as man's property in that, in that day and time. And Mary is Joseph's property, and she comes back having been violated by what is seemingly another man. And because of that, Mosaic law gave Joseph the right to have Mary stoned in public. And she could be killed for coming back pregnant. He can have her disrobed and thrown into in front of the whole community and stoned to death because he's mad about what she's done. But even though that's an option, the Bible says Joseph did not want to make her a public example. He wanted to deal with it privately. And that even though he's hurt, even though he's been disrespected, even though he's disappointed, even though he feels that she's cheated, even though that he's mad and he's angry about it all, he doesn't act out of anger, but rather love and compassion. And that's what makes Joseph a good man. And it's what will make you a good man and what will make you a good woman. We follow this example and this modeling of Joseph when you learn to control yourself when you're angry. Church, anger is one of the most uncontrollable emotions that we deal with in life. Anger consumes, controls, contaminates, and anger will cause you to lose restraint. We all know one somebody, when they get angry, all bets are off, right? We all know that person. When they get mad, they justify their actions. When they get mad, they'll, they'll do anything. That's where the term blind with rage comes from. You can be so consumed with anger, church, that you feel justified in doing whatever you want to whomever you want and treating them however you want. Anger must be controlled. And I came to preach to somebody today that when you're falling in love with someone, you don't really know them until you've seen them angry. Anger will take the mask off. You do know when you meet someone, right? You meet their representative. And somebody said, that's right. You meet their representative. But hang around and see them get angry. And the mask will come off. And the true self will be revealed. And the truest sign of love is not what somebody buys you for Christmas. The truest sign of love are not the sweet nothings that someone whispers in your ear. The truest sign of love is not where they take you on your next vacation. No, the truest sign of love is how you treat me when you're angry. When you're angry, can you still speak to me like like the one you love? When you're angry, can you still respect me as someone that God sent into your world? When you're angry, can you still keep your hands to yourself? Can you look at me and not see some stranger off the street, but somebody you're called to love? Can you love me when you're angry? And what makes Joseph a good man is that he doesn't allow his anger to override his love. The Bible says that he was a just man. And the term just means that he's mature, he's grown up, he's developed, he's righteous before God. And he recognizes that the truest sign of maturity is when I learn to control myself and I restrain my resentment. Joseph is a good man. The second reason Joseph is a good man, Joseph takes time to think. He pauses to pray. The Bible says that it's going through his mind what he should do. He's contemplating what he should do. He thought about it, the Bible says. And if you look, he says, should I stone her? Should I just walk away? Should I divorce her? What should I do? How should I handle it? In verse 20, it says, as he took time to think it over, 
Joseph models what we ought to do when we get upset about stuff like this. Joseph says, you know what? Let me think about this. You ought to press pause, he says. Take a step back. Look at it from some different angles. Take some time to think. Weigh your options. You know, write down your pros and cons. Fall on your knees and ask God to give you some wisdom and some strength and some direction. You've got to learn how to press pause. How to think things over and not always act out of instinct. And not always give to your reflex act reaction. But step back and think and press pause. Here's a good one. If you get something out of this message, if you're a note taker, you write this one down. If you're not much of a note taker, go ahead and write this down. Learn how to push save and not send. Church, hear me this morning. Learn how to press save and not send. Get it out. Type it out. Cuss them out. And hit save. Because I don't know about you, but I can testify this morning for myself. When I'm angry, my knee-jerk first reaction is always wrong. Always wrong. Every time. When I'm first, when I'm furious, my first thought is always wrong. And Joseph understands that when you're in that place, you've got to remember what Solomon wrote in Proverbs chapter 3 in verse 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge God and God will direct your path. Press pause. Solomon understood that the worst time to trust yourself is when you're angry. The worst time to trust yourself is when you're hurt. So in that moment, you ought to push pause, seek God and pray, and and ask Him and allow God to order your steps. Because here's what will happen. God will show you another way. And there are plenty in this room who will testify to that. Here's Joseph feeling hurt. He's angry. He's thinking about it and he's praying about it. And what happens? An angel shows up. An angel says, since you took the time to think about it and pray about it, God told me to tell you that this is the Holy Spirit at work and that you are to go ahead and take Mary as your wife. Don't be afraid. God has another way. Have you ever been angry and wanted to do something, but you paused and prayed and the Lord showed you another way? It's happened. The Lord showed you another way to get it done, to turn it around. An option maybe that you haven't considered. He opens a door that you didn't even know was there at the time. Stop and pause and pray. And you, you know that, 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 that when you listen for the Lord, and, and the, the prison is filled with folks who couldn't press pause. If they had just stepped back and looked at it from another angle, if they had just waited, they might not be where they are now. But they reacted. And they ended up in a place they didn't want to be. So while he's thinking about it and praying about it, the angel shows up. And watch what the angel does. The angel tells Joseph, listen, God did this. And the angel persuades Joseph in a way that Mary never could have. There was nothing Mary could ever say to Joseph in her own words that would have proven to Joseph that this was an act of God. There was, that it was not a betrayal. That there was nobody else involved in this, Joseph. 
But her words couldn't do it. God was able to persuade Joseph so that Joseph would understand what God was up to. And I'm not sure who needed to hear that this morning. But God wants you to know that God can speak to Joseph and God can change people's minds. He can speak to the Joseph in your life. God can convict people's hearts when you can't can't explain it. When you can't defend it and when you can't change their mind, trust God to speak to them. God knows how to talk to your Josephs. So he restrains his anger. He takes time to think and pauses to pray. And the third reason why Joseph is a good man is because he has the strength to sacrifice. Need the church to say sacrifice. And I need you to say that word repeatedly because it's kind of been edited from contemporary Christian vocabulary. Sacrifice has been deleted from the requirements of being a disciple. And then we live in a, in a get gain and give me mine world. But Joseph models to us that if you would be a part of the plan of God, you've got to have some sacrifice in your spirit. You've got to learn to tell yourself, no, you've got to realize you can't have everything that you have the right to have. You can't consume everything that you want to consume. If you would walk with God, you've got to learn to let some stuff lay on the table and not put your hands on it. Amen. I preach this Christmas narrative. Bible says an angel tells Joseph, go ahead and take Mary as your wife. So he wakes up after the dream and he marries her. And the Bible says that after the wedding, he does not know her until the baby's born. He does not know her. No, no, you know, no, he does not know her. There's some kids in here, you know, he does not know her until the baby's born. This isn't casual knowing. She's not a good buddy. She's not a friend. He doesn't know her until the baby is born, the Bible says. And it implies intimacy that's written when it is written when Joseph marries her. He doesn't consummate the marriage. He doesn't enjoy his legal right. Joseph knows what it means to sacrifice. He doesn't take Mary as he wants to, as his flesh would call him to, because he understands that if I take this woman, I interfere with the plan of God in her life to bring forth the child as a virgin as it was prophesied. He realizes that Mary is not for my personal pleasure, that people are not here to be used for my own gain, that everything that I have the legal right to do and everything that, I would, that would bring me pleasure and everything I've been wanting to do, I cannot do because I'm part of something bigger than my own selfish gain. I'm part of God's plan to bring Jesus into the world, which means I've got to make a sacrifice. Church, I wish there was more spirit of Joseph in the body of Christ today. Believers who understood that we are part of the plan to bring Christ into the world. And therefore, we've got to make some sacrifices for something that is bigger than ourselves. I I can't spend all my money because I've got to sacrifice the tithe. I can't treat people the way I want because I've got to sacrifice and be a witness of Christ in the world. There are sacrifices that need to be made when you recognize that you're a part of something bigger than yourself. Listen, following God is not just about getting your wish list fulfilled. As some churches would teach, (laughs) that if you just follow God, then get ready for the blessings. Oh, just check them off. Bring your bucket list. Following God is to recognize that God positions you in places that sacrifice 
is required to honor the greater work that God is doing in the world. Joseph models restraint. He models prayer and he models sacrifice. And I would suggest to you this morning that Jesus probably saw that. As he grows, he sees a man who doesn't react out of anger. He sees a man who learns to pray and to think it over. And he sees a man who says no to some things that he wants to say yes to. So much so that when Jesus stands in front of the Pharisees and, and they call him, they, they cursed him and call him Beelzebub, he doesn't act out of anger and strike him dead, strike them dead. When Judas betrays him, he doesn't curse and damn Judas to hell. When he's on the cross and the thief mocks him, he doesn't come down and reveal his, his strength and act out of anger. Jesus knows how to restrain his anger. And Jesus knows how to pray. He gets away from the disciples in the crowd and he goes up on the mountain to spend some time alone with his God. He knows how to pray when he's got a decision on his mind. He doesn't know whether he really wants to go through Calvary or not. Jesus goes to the Garden of Gethsemane and he prays. He bows before the Lord. He thinks it over and he takes time and he prays. He knows how to pray. And Jesus knows how to sacrifice. He knows that everything he, do, he can do, he won't do because he's a part of something bigger. When they're in the Garden of Gethsemane and Peter cuts off the ear of the soldier that's come to arrest Jesus, Jesus tells him that, hey, you don't, hey, whoa, Peter, don't you know that I could call down a legion of angels who would wipe this thing clean? But because I know how to sacrifice, I'll go to the cross and give my life for something bigger than myself. That we are good men and good women when we control our anger, when we take time to think and pray, and when we learn to sacrifice for something bigger than ourselves. And that sounds like a good place to extend an invitation. An invitation to become something part of bigger than yourself. Become part of something bigger than yourself. To become part of the kingdom of God and a body of believers that can and will help you on your journey. 